0: Men of Athens, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So the Apostle Paul begins his evangelistic appeal to the burghers of Athens at the Areopagus, known to the Romans as Mars Hill. So compelling are Paul's words recorded in Acts 17 that they are today engraved on a bronze plaque at the site where Athenians and visitors who read Greek can still read them today. There's enough in them to inspire many servants. And since we just have one sermon this morning, thank you, (laughs) you're welcome I should say, let's focus, digest, and practice just three aspects of this Paul's model evangelistic appeal. What does Paul do with the Athenians? The first thing he does is homework. He has taken the time and made the effort to learn about his audience and their city before he opens his mouth. He waits to speak until his words will improve upon silence. And when he does speak to those with theologies very different from his own, He does so sympathetically, without being patronizing, putting the best construction on the religious practice of his audience, speaking as one seeker after God to another. That's a lot to digest already, and that's just the first point. Study before speaking. Put the best construction on everything. Empathize with those with whom you differ. Try to walk in their shoes as far as you can. And don't assume that our differences necessarily make us adversaries. The second thing I'd like to latch onto in Paul's speech is something that we can actually learn from the Athenians, whom Paul calls extremely religious in every way. You know, that's something that we can aspire to be. It's so easy to compartmentalize and privatize our faith, to treat it like a set of Sunday clothes, honorably, but to be put on just once a week and then hung up again in the closet until next Sunday. In contrast, Paul observes that the Athenians are extremely religious in every way, and he says it as if that were commendable. You know that being a Christian is not just our private business. It has public weekday implications. It's not always easy to figure out just what those implications are, and one size does not fit all. As a first step, however, we can imitate the Athenians by imagining what it would mean to be religious in every way, for our faith to permeate what we think, say, and do day to day. That's part of what it means to be, as we heard last week, members of Christ's body growing into salvation living stones being built by God into a spiritual house, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that we might proclaim the mighty acts of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For God does not live in a box hibernating between Sundays. He is the living God, the giver and Lord of our lives, interested in how we spend our time and money and talents, in how we treat one another, in the way we express ourselves, and in the people with whom we associate. In many cases, those things won't be obviously different from how non-Christians our neighbors do those things. In many more, though, it will be different especially when it comes to facing trauma, personal sacrifice and our willingness to undertake it, delayed gratification and regard for those who are most vulnerable and least able to reciprocate kindness and generosity. Many people have been hurt by religious conflict among Christians. We know that. But the solution is not to privatize, trivialize, disregard, and suppress our faith, but to put our faith into practice, nipping conflict in the bud, minimizing harm, resolving conflict, and reconciling and healing where harm has already been done. Given our Western tendency to excessively privatize religion, We have something to learn from our Islamic neighbors who, as monotheists, are very different from the Athenians to whom Paul was speaking, but are in other ways analogous to them. I've mentioned to you before something that happened to me a few years ago. Some Muslim friends and I were discussing Christianity and Islam. And they were far more interested in and willing to do that than many Christians, myself included. Their assumption that faith and religious practice are high priorities in a person's life and worthy of public discussion was a way that God spoke to me through them that day. In fact, just this past week, I was traveling and I was in Newark, Penn Station. There were a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses handing out tracts in the station. I appreciate, even though I don't share their theology, that they were at least willing to go out and do that. I was also inspired by the fact that there was a Christian of at least a more orthodox sort, a non-Aryan sort, who was debating vigorously with them. I thought... I need to be willing to do that, too. He was an inspiration to me. Let us, then, aspire to imitate the Athenians in being extremely religious in every way, asking God to guide us by His Holy Spirit to make us wise unto salvation and eager to see and to do what that looks like Monday to Saturday as well as today. And finally, Paul proclaims to the Athenians that he has something to tell them. God has made himself known to us as one of us, and by his resurrection moved humanity from mortality to immortality. We need not worship an unknown God just in case we have overlooked one, like the Athenians put up an altar to an unknown God, just to be sure that they hadn't missed one. Of Jesus Christ, Colossians 1 says this, "'He is the image of the invisible God, "'the firstborn of all creation. "'For by him all things were created, "'in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible.'" For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul proclaimed God's revelation to the Athenians boldly, and so can we. We don't have to be ashamed of our confession or soft-pedal it so as not to offend others. We can say what we believe with empathy, wisdom, and conviction. It doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all the answers. And we don't need to make things up to make us seem smarter or more sure of ourselves or more knowledgeable about God than we really are. God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can start by proclaiming him crucified and risen from the dead. We can be, in the words of 1 Peter 3, ready to make our defense to anyone who demands from us an accounting for the hope that is in us. And yet to do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping our conscience clear so that when we are maligned, those who abuse us for our good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. Though the idea of testifying to the hope that is within us may make us uncomfortable, God is with us in our witness. In our gospel reading in John chapter 14 verse 15, Jesus promises to send his disciples a helper or an advocate. The Greek word is parakletos, that means someone who comes alongside of us to be with us forever, even the spirit of truth. For ultimately, it is God who draws people to himself and who causes us to grow. In the words of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. Thanks be to God, who in Paul's appeal to the Athenians has given us a model of spreading the good news, doing our homework, putting the best construction on the words and actions of others, being religious in every way, proclaiming among the nations, God, made known to us in Jesus of Nazareth, crucified, risen, and with us today.